Welcome to Head to Heart Podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Markham. This bi-weekly podcast is created to be a safe space to admit what we truly believe in our hearts. And many of us, when we take the time to truly examine ourselves, will find some sort of shame, fear, or lies hiding in there. And it is never God's will for us to stay in bondage to those. It's His truth that sets us free from them. But there's a huge difference between having biblical knowledge floating around in our heads and actually believing that it's true. Until God's truth makes its way into our hearts, nothing changes. We'll be doing a mix of solo episodes and interviews with friends who have experienced the freedom that comes when head knowledge becomes heart knowledge. We'll also have a time of prayer where you will have a chance to respond to what God is inviting you into at the end of each episode. The truth will set you free so you can walk every day in the freedom God desires for you. It's time to let go of shame, fear, and lies. Those aren't yours to carry. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Head to Heart Podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Markham. Today, I'm bringing a new guest. Her name is Tess Clark. So Tess, why don't you take a minute to introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what you do, add in a fun fact and whatever else you want. Awesome. Well, yes, Jenny, my name is Tess Clark. I live in Dallas, Texas. Um, I am a mother to four children and a wife to my husband, Jason. And those are probably some of my greatest accomplishments. Um, I also have the great privilege of running a grassroots organization called We Welcome. We were formerly called We Welcome Refugees. Some people might have heard of us. Um, And our goal is to really start the conversation about refugees, asylum seekers, migrants, and displaced people from a human narrative and give people facts and invite people into what we think is the kingdom of God and the way that God is setting us up to welcome people from all over the world um, and to show them God's love. And so often they show it back to us. And so I just feel incredibly humbled and um, blessed to get to do this work. Um, A fun fact about me, I mean, when I tell people that I was a cheerleader in high school, no one ever believes me because nothing in my (laughs) life would show that now. (laughs) Um, I feel like that was a whole different world um, that I lived in. And, and it's pretty funny to, to think about it. And my kids don't believe me either. When they see me jump on the trampoline, they're like, mom, there's no way there's no way, um, <laughs> that, you, that you were a cheerleader. So <laughs> happy to be here with you today. Yeah. I'm so happy you're with us. We recorded a podcast episode a long time ago about, um, refugees and, and, immigration and it was so helpful to the audience and it was like highly requested that we do another one and so I emailed you and I was I was beside myself when you responded I was like this is so exciting I have Tess Clark and she's the perfect woman to talk about this so I would love to ask you what have you been set free from wow you know that's such a big question and I love it and I've been thinking about it since I got your questions that you sent over. And I think I've really been set free from the way I thought the kingdom of God looked, who I thought was welcome at the table, what I thought it meant to live a life of blessings, right? And, and maybe privilege even. And the way that I was raised, it was like everything was 
buttoned up and certain people got into the kingdom because they said the right things and they acted the right way. And I think God has literally turned my world upside down from my work with refugees and from the time I've been able to live overseas um, with my family and just seeing the way that God is working and he's bringing people together from all different kinds of backgrounds. And we're getting to learn and grow together and see what it means to like be loved and seen by God. It's, it's just completely turned my world upside down, like I said, but it's also, I think, just set me free. I feel like I'm so much more of an open-minded, open-hearted person, and I'm trying to raise my kids in that, in that same vein, right, within that same culture. I think where I came from, like I said, it was, it was so narrow, like who mm-hmm. got, who was in, right, who was in God, who was on God's team, um, and I've just been set free from... I made some really linear thinking about God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And I feel like that is quite a few people's stories once they move from the place they have grown up in. Does that make sense? Definitely. I've heard that some several people of like, I used to be so narrow minded when I was just surrounded by people who look like me, think like me, talk like me. Mm-hmm. And then we move somewhere else and we don't know how to act anymore. <laughs> yes, it's a good thing. I mean, just proximity, I think, to people with a different background and story than you is so freeing. Mm-hmm. And what a privilege for someone to let you into their life and into their story and to trust you with it. That's been really um, kind of world changing for me. Yeah. So in your work, how did you know which part and role you were called to play in helping refugees and immigrants displace people? You know, I would say the work has really transformed over the years. It's kind of been a one foot in front of the other type of work and ministry. My husband and I lived in China working with the underground church, like right when I was out of college. And that really opened my eyes to got what God was doing globally. And then when we moved back to Dallas, we heard there was a huge refugee population. We were really intrigued. And because we had lived in China, we kind of missed that international um, like lifestyle. And people stayed up late and they entertain and open their homes. And it was it's just different. And I mean, honestly, we would joke like we were really bored in our apartment complex in Dallas. And so we heard about this refugee community. We went there one evening um, to like hosting. We ended up just kind of falling in love with the community. We looked at each other and just were like, we feel like we're supposed to move here. And that was really all we were going to do. We were just going to move into the community and get to know people. And after that, it was like those doors started opening, right, where it's going, oh, man, we're meeting a family who's sharing their story and they need help finding a job. Okay, well, we can maybe do that. And then you're hearing about their background in being child slaves and you're going, well, maybe we need to help them get a counselor. How could the how could the church community we're in come alongside people and love them well and not only help them with the practical needs, but with some of the um spiritual needs too. And so it just, it's been one of those things where one door led to another, to another, and to eventually, because of the work we were doing on the ground with refugee families, to this role in advocacy that I now get to play on a national level and getting to go to DC and meet with lawmakers and pastors and leaders and help them understand the plight of refugees and migrants and asylum seekers, right? Taking people to the border to meet 
migrants and asylum seekers and to hear their stories. And it's been, I think it's all through God and all through God's glory um, that I've been put in these different positions, but I would say it all started in relationship and it's continued in relationship to the people that I'm advocating alongside and for. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you just became whatever the people in front of you needed at the time. That's a great way to put it. And I think that's what I'm still trying to do is go, I don't, I'm not a hero in any story, right? Like there's nothing about it um, outside of just saying, let me, let me see what I can do. Let me listen to you. And I don't have the answers, but I might know someone who does. And it's about about building a network, trusting other people, um, listening to the people that you're trying to help. I think sometimes we miss that right in the traditional sphere of advocacy work or nonprofit work. People come in with lots of great ideas of all the things they're going to do. And sometimes we don't ask, what do you need done? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's something that was unique about the work that we were doing in Dallas, particularly when we started with refugees. Mm -hmm. That's true. And for anyone who is a little confused on terms here, maybe we just hear a bunch of terms thrown at us when we watch the news or you know, hear it from other people. But would you just quickly explain what the difference between a refugee, a displaced person and an immigrant is? Yeah. So, I mean, a refugee is someone who's been forced to leave their country, right? They're escaping war, persecution, natural disasters, and they've crossed a border. Um, And so that's the term that you would say, this person is a refugee. Um, And then if you're looking at a displaced person, they're often displaced within their own country. And so they Mm -hmm. might be moving from one part of their country to another, um, but still under their same government. And so they're internally displaced um, is typically what you would um, say when you're thinking of a displaced person. Mm -hmm. Um, And then someone who's seeking asylum has left their their native country and they're going to another nation asking for protection. And so sometimes someone might say, hey, asylum seekers are also refugees. But when you get the term refugee placed on you, it's usually by like another government agency. Mm -hmm. So it's all a little bit confusing, but often all of these people are running from the same things. Right, right. The same things would cause all of these. Exactly. Okay. So if there was just one thing, and I know it might be hard to narrow it down to just one thing, but if there was one thing you wish everyone knew about immigration, refugees, your work, what would that be? Oh, man, I, I know you wrote, you put that question. I was like, oh, that's a hard one. I know. I mean, you can expand it to three things if you need to. I I think the thing that is actually, we keep having to educate people on because, because of the media and because of the dehumanizing narrative and story that's often told particularly about people who are coming to the southern border in the United States is that seeking asylum is legal. Crossing the border into the United States and presenting yourself at a port of entry is legal. That people are not coming, they're not tricking, they're not crossing, they're not keeping, you know, they're not hiding in the dark. Like often these people are coming in and crossing the border and trying to do it the right way. I have been to the border more times than I have, than I can count. And even if someone technically was crossing illegally, right, maybe they were down um, the river a little bit, they're often trying to cross and get to a port of entry. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think sometimes there's this 
narrative that this is nefarious. And yes, are, are there people trying to get in and do it in secret? Of course. But I would say the majority of people, the families that are coming over, the unaccompanied children, um, they're trying to do it the right way. They just might not know the perfect way. Right. But seeking asylum is legal. And we, these people have a right for their case to be heard. They have a right to go before a judge that's under our, our human law. Mm-hmm. And so our humanitarian law. So I think that that's a, it's a huge misconception. And then that our, that we don't have enough resources to go around. I think that's the other lie that's told is that if we open our doors, if we open our homes and our hearts and our tables, that we're going to run out. And I just continue to see God provide and provide and provide. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we miss out on the kind of the beauty of the gospel, right. And of the kingdom. When we, when we say you're welcome, but you're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That just reminds me of, it's such a biblical principle to give when you don't feel like you have much to give. And it's like the Lord provides more than enough, even when we least expect it. Definitely. So I know that the topic of immigration can cause tension or awkwardness when we bring it up around our families or when you get together at Thanksgiving or um, around other people who have, who don't have the same views as you. So what tips would you give to listeners in navigating that conversation well with others? You know what, through our work at We Welcome, we've actually created a guide called Better Conversations. And I'll get you that link so you can provide it to people because I think it's really well done and just how to, how to enter into these tense conversations with grace. And I think that that is my tip. It's extend grace. Think about a topic maybe you didn't know much about or something that makes you feel afraid because often when people have different views than you, it's because they're hearing one narrative. They have a lack of proximity to the people they're talking about. And there's something that's driving them to a place of fear. Mm-hmm. So I have found my most successful conversations, and that doesn't mean that we end it with the person agreeing with me or me agreeing with them, but where we both feel heard have mm-hmm. been when I lead with more questions. When I ask, like, what makes you feel that way? Or where did you hear that from? Or that's really interesting. I hadn't heard that before. Can you tell me more? And so people feel invited. And that's so, that's the heart of the work that we welcome is that what we're putting out is invitational to someone who might think differently or see things differently or just be uneducated on the topic that they don't feel like they can't fit in or learn from us. The resources we're creating are all about that grace and that invitation. And we're hoping to equip people who say, I want to have this conversation at the dinner table, but I'm scared because I don't know all of the right things to say or the right ways to approach the issue we're really trying to build out a library of resources for those people because we believe that a culture of welcome starts in our homes and at our tables and through conversations with our children with our friends with our family like that is how we're going to become a more welcoming people Mm -hmm. yeah i like how you change the standard for a successful conversation (laughs) because a lot of us would think if it's successful, that means that we're on the same page afterwards, but that isn't necessarily true. Definitely. I think if you both, yeah, like if someone feels heard and seen, guess what? They're going to come back to you and ask more questions when they hear not sure about 
you're going to become that resource because you weren't someone who essentially wrote them off because you didn't see, see things the same way. And I know not everyone is equipped and not everyone's personalities have a bend towards this. I, but, you know, it, and it's also tools that we can learn as well. Like, do some deep breathing, you know, and I think coming, I've had some harder conversations, particularly with family members, where, I say, where I'll say, hey, we need to start just at the, same, at the baseline, right? If we're talking about asylum seekers or immigrants and you have negative things to say, we're not going to dehumanize them. I don't want to engage in that kind of conversation, but if you have questions, like let's, let's talk through those. If you have concerns, if you have fears, I'm happy to go there. I just don't want to talk in a way that's dehumanizing to people that I believe are made in the image of God. And I think you believe that too. And most people, if they're Christians, won't argue at that point. So you can kind of get a good jumping off place. That's true. Okay, I just want to tell you this next question. I wrote, how can listeners, but what I really mean is, how can I? (laughs) Um, How could listeners and myself, how can we discern what our role is in caring for refugees? I mean, God's uniquely wired you, Jenny, and anyone else who listens to this podcast and I think like reaching in and going, man, what am I really good at? Am I good at input? Am I good at like figuring out what resources are available in my community? Am I good at rallying people around to set up an apartment? Am I like, am I a cheerleader? Am I like a go-getter, a doer? You know, we all have kind of gifts and talents. I mean, there are people on my team who are extremely detail-oriented and we could not do the things we do without them. I can have a great idea, but I need someone to execute that idea. So I know my role in this work is often like, oh my gosh, what if we did this? And then I turn it over to my partner, Sheila, who actually gets it done. Um, And so we're a really good team in that way. Same thing if we're setting up an apartment in Dallas for a refugee family. I'm great at saying, here's the list of what people need. And then asking someone to help me gather the items and keep an inventory list. I'm not great with details. And so I think, look, even in your context and community, like what are the local resettlement agencies reaching out to them? What are their needs? They might need ESL teachers. They might need someone to help run a food pantry. They might just need someone to welcome people at the airport and then just praying and asking the Holy Spirit to lead you into what God might have for you. And sometimes that means going outside of our comfort zone, right? Right. And sometimes it means, man, you are wired for this. You're going to kill it if you do it and be amazing at it. So that that would be my advice. Mm -hmm. I just want to say I love the Instagram page for We Welcome because you make it so easy to contact um, our government and uh, like petition for certain laws to be passed or help to be given and so they make it so easy and I really appreciate that about the Instagram page I mean I'm so happy to hear that that was one of our biggest goals was we need this to be something people feel like is accessible they can do it quickly I mean before I got into the advocacy side of this work I just had no idea how easy it was to contact our representatives and also sometimes I think we forget that they work for us right Mm -hmm. these are elected representatives and it feels like they're behind these iron doors and we can't access them when really our job as constituents is to share with them what we hope to see and what we want them to do and how we want them to vote um, and hold them accountable. And it's, it's handing the power back to the people. That's mm-hmm. my hope. 
Yeah. So my last question for you is something that I am just so curious about your personal practices, but how do you keep yourself from burnout when you are surrounded by very difficult, very traumatic stories of other people? I just was having this conversation with a coworker of mine who was at the border recently and got back and called me and was just, you know, in tears and just saying like, how do we hold all of this? Um, and I know it's, it sounds simple. And what I was sharing with her is like, I just have to keep reminding myself that God has to hold it. Right. Like I am not the savior. I can't change someone's situation. I can't take away their traumatic story. And often you hear traumatic stories when someone has migrated in any way, shape or form, they have gone through something terrible. Um, and just like continuing to hand that to hand that to God and then continue. And I think doing the work that we're doing and advocating for better laws and practices and more humane treatment of refugees, asylum seekers, and migrants helps me, um, process some of that, like that my hands are, you know, getting dirty in the work. And it also looks like, you know, <laughs> deep breathing and spending time with people that you love and getting lost in a good book or a podcast and just finding those, those times where you can, you can disengage from some of that pain. I think that's really important and I'm, I'm probably not the best at it. Um, but I'm, but I'm trying and I'm trying to learn from people who are good at it. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. I had a class in college called Welcoming the Stranger. It was my favorite class I've ever taken in school, period. And um, I had a teacher who worked in refugee ministry. And she said that her background on her computer is a picture of kittens roaming around in a flower field. And she said that when she looks at that, she's able to kind of make space for things that also bring her joy. So she said, you have to make space in your life for sitting with the broken and kittens and flowers. <laughs> I love that. It's so true. You really do. It's like, if it's sunny outside, I'm like, okay, let's get a blanket and go put it in the grass and lay in the sun. Everybody needs some vitamin D. You know, I've got four kids, so our house is a little chaotic sometimes. So it's good to just, when you can like capture something beautiful and go enjoy it. Mm -hmm. So Tess, where can people find you and your organization? And if they're more interested in, in helping and advocacy, where could they find you on the internet? Yeah. So we um, are on Facebook. Um, we welcome. And then also over on Instagram at we welcome refugees. Um, and that's mostly where we're posting anything about the work that we're doing. Um, and people can connect with us there. We have, um, people can set up phone calls with us. Like we want to connect with you. Um, we have community liaisons in some states. If you follow our page, you'll find out who they are and where they are. Um, and they also are there to grab a coffee with you, connect with you. We want people to know they're a part of a community of people doing this work together. It helps so much. You feel so much less alone because sometimes in our own context, we might be the only person in our friend group or family who is thinking this way or feeling this way. Right. And so we're saying, hey, join us in the movement um, and let's kind of let's do it together so people can find us there. And then if they want to get involved locally, I'd say, look, 
to your, just do a quick Google search. Is there a IRC office, a world release relief office, a Catholic charities, maybe a church ministry doing something um, where you live. And that's a great way to get involved also. That's great. Thank you so much, Tess. It is an honor to have you as a guest and it was so much fun talking with you. Thank you so much, Jenny. I really look forward to staying connected and um, following your work too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Head to Heart Podcast. It's a joy to record them and a joy to have you listen. Since you're a dedicated listener and made it to the very end of the episode, I have two gifts for you. One is that I have a free resource linked in the show notes for you. It's a resource created to help you take the truth you've learned either in this episode or in a previous one and apply it to your life. The second gift I have for you is access to my seasonal playlists. Every season, summer, fall, winter, spring, I create a regular playlist and a worship playlist that will be ongoing throughout the season. And you'll be able to follow it on Spotify if you need some good boogie tunes. Because let's be honest, in another life, I would have been a DJ. So you now have full access to meet all your seasonal music needs in the show notes. As always, I love hearing from you. So follow me on Instagram and send me a DM of how this episode impacted you. The handle is head to heart underscore podcast. And if you would be so kind, leave a five-star rating and review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or the website. By doing this, you'll help me get more amazing guests on the show in the future. I'll be releasing new episodes to you every other Friday, so stay tuned and thanks for joining us.